Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4. So we continue to look in the book of Acts. We've seen over the last two weeks, if you've been with us, we've been following this narrative of, of Peter and John uh, where they first encountered a lame man and pointed him to faith in Christ. And through that, he was healed. And then we saw that kind of the fallout from that as they were preaching and telling people how this man was healed, the leaders didn't like that, and so they arrested them and, and questioned them and threatened them. And so now we're going to look at the continuing story here and see what do they do next. Right? They, they were telling people about Jesus and the healing and the salvation that can come through Christ, and they were arrested, and so then they tell the people that arrested them about the healing and salvation that can come through Christ. And, and those men didn't like it. And so they, they warned them sternly multiple times. They're, they're trying to scare them or bully them. They say, listen, we're going to let you go, but you don't tell anybody else about Christ. Peter and John said, listen, you do what you got to do, but we're not going to quit telling people about Christ. So they warned them again, and they let them go. And today we're going to pick up in Acts four twenty-three, and we're going to see... Three pretty simple things. We're going to see where they went whenever they were released. We're going to see what they did when they got there. And we're going to see how God responds to that. So where did they go? What did they do? How did God respond to that? I want to read this first verse for us, and then we're going to pray together before we consider this text. But Acts 4, 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity today to open your word together. Father, what a gift it is that we have your word. And Lord, as we continue to see this story of, of Peter and John, who with their lives and their words declared that there's nothing, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing that they wanted more than you. Lord, that you were the one that they wanted to declare to everyone else so they might know you. So, Lord, I pray that that is the desire of our heart. And if it's not right now, Lord, that you use this text to make that the desire of our heart, that we want you more than anything, and we want others to know you. Father, that we would share that story. Help me this morning, Father, to share this concisely, but in a way that makes it very applicable to our lives. Lord, send your spirit that's already among us. With him, give us the power to understand your word that we could live it out, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we see here where they went. When they're released, right, what's the first thing that they, when, when they're released, they head to what it says in the ESV, uh, to their friends. But, but some of you have different translations. I think this is one of those times that it's valuable for us to have that. And the King James Version, if any of you have that, it says that they went to their own company. Similar in the NASB, it says, to their own companions. Uh, then the Christian Standard and the New International both get a little bit closer, I think, to, the, to what I see the thought here. It says, to their own people, which I like the way that is. But, but in the original language, the actual translation of this would say, when they were released, they went to their own. They went to to their own. And I love the way that that sounds. I love the way that that hits in my mind that when they when they were released they didn't right there are several options here 
They could have went by themselves to their house and pouted because they didn't like the conversations they'd had with the Jewish leaders. They could have went to the town square and started preaching out loud in the town square just to try and spite these Jewish leaders. And some of us would pick either one of those. Some of us might go soul up and some of us might, well, I'm going to do something to show them who I am. Uh, they didn't go seek legal counsel about how to deal with this. They didn't go try and drum up support from a bunch of influential people. No, the first place that they went was to the church. And not the building. They went to the church. Right? They went to God's people. They went to their brothers and sisters. And they went for a specific purpose, and you'll see that in just a moment. But when they went, they went to meet with some other people that knew Christ so that they could pray together to God. They went and they, they were seeking God's help because they knew that they needed God's help. And so I think it's so special to see these men. The first thing they wanted to do was to go to their own, to go to the church. And then in verse 24, we do see the beginning of their prayer. It says, and when they heard it, right, talking about the church people, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then just a moment, we'll look at verses 25 and 26 where they're quoting Psalm 2. But, but they begin here, this is, I really want us to, I pray that this hits for you like it did for me this week. That, that as I'm looking at this text, I see these two men who are being persecuted, these two men that are trying to be silenced by opposers, these two men that are going through a trial, right, through a very difficult time, and the first thing that they want to do is they want to go meet with some other Christians, and they want to get together with some other people that know Christ and to pray to God. When they were facing a challenge, when they were facing a hard time, the first thing they wanted to do was to go to the one who knows everything, right? These brothers needed wisdom. They know that they're supposed to tell about Christ. They're being threatened not to tell about Christ. They need some wisdom. So they wanted to go to the one who has all the answers. And we'll see in just a moment they needed some strength and some boldness to continue doing what they're supposed to be doing. So they wanted to go to the one that has all strength. And so they go and they meet with the church and the church prays. And the point one this morning is that Peter and John went to the church and the church went to God. I pray that, you, that it really sticks with you this morning, that when I say the church, we're not talking about a building. That's not what we say. When they went to the church, they went and met with other believers. They went to God's people, and God's people went to God. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, because it's not the main point of this text, but, but I do want us to think about this as a point of application for just a moment. Is this us? Right? Is this what our life looks like whenever whenever hard times come up do we run to god or run to some others that will go to god with us right we always say that that when we come up to hard times that that the number one thing that we do should not be complain it should not be go looking for some sympathizers that will just pat us on the back it should not be just find a friend that will let us vent. Now, none of these things in, the, in themselves are necessarily terrible things. It, the number one thing, the first thing it would do, shouldn't be go look for some practical worldly help. Again, not a terrible thing. But when it's compared to the other option that we have, which is going to the God of the universe 
who is in charge of everything, who has all the answers and all the power, these other options begin to look like not very good options. And so the first thing we should do is go to God. And what we see here is an example of not just going to God, but, but the first thing they do is go to some other people that will go to God with them, that will intercede on their behalf. And they make it clear that they know who they're addressing because they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When they pray, they knew who they were praying to. And they knew what God could do. So I ask you, is this you? Is this what your life looks like? When hard times come up, whatever that hard time may be, is the first thing that you do pray or seek some other people that will pray with you or is it anything else? Because in James chapter 5, it says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, brothers and sisters, I pray that this is challenging to us, right? These brothers went to the Lord first. And I pray that that's something that we always do as well. So let's look at the prayer. Really, the rest of this text, what we're going to see is the prayer and then God's response to the prayer. So look with me back in verse 24. We'll start at the quotation in the middle of verse 24 where they begin praying. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of of your holy servant, Jesus. So here we see their prayer, right? We see what they're praying. We, we see really in this two things that stand out. That first part, verse 24, all the way down to about verse 28, we see them recognizing who God is in their prayer. Recognizing what God's capable of. And then we see them praying for boldness. We've already seen in verse 24, right, they refer to God as sovereign Lord, who's the creator of everything. And that word sovereign is a big word. So what does the word itself mean? When they say sovereign Lord, it means an authority figure who exercises complete jurisdiction and wields unrestricted power. Now that's big, unrestricted power, right? Complete jurisdiction over absolutely everything. This will make sense for some of you, and for the rest of you, I'm sorry. But as I read this this week, I imagined having the glove with all of the Infinity Stones. Those of you that are Avengers fans, right? Complete power. Do everything you want to do. Didn't work out that way in the movie, but that's how it was supposed to be. But that's what we have in God. They say, God, who is over everything, 
who knows everything, who's in charge of everything, who is unrestricted in power. And so they quote there, that's what we see in verse 25 and 26. They're quoting Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 was a prophecy. It was a prophecy that one day all of the nations were going to gather together against God and against the chosen one. And then they go, they continue to explain there, beginning in verse 27, they say, we've seen this prophecy take place. We've seen this actually play out because Jesus is the chosen one. And we see all of these people, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So the Jews and the Gentiles and the Romans, all of these nations have gathered against God and against his Holy One and they've crucified Jesus. So what they're recognizing here is that God knows everything. God has already told them what was going to take place long time before it took place through the mouth of David, King David. Thousands of years before this has already prophesied that this is going to take place. And then it took place. So they recognize that God knows everything, but don't miss this. They also recognize that God is still in charge of everything. Even Christ's crucifixion, although it's hard for us to understand, was part of God's plan. This was part of God's will. It seems like the, one of the worst things that ever took place. But we see that in verse 28, right? They say, all these people got together to crucify Christ, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they recognize that because God has prophesied these things and they've taken place, they know that God knows everything. The past, the future, literally everything. And they also recognize that this only took place because it was part of God's plan. God knows everything and God is in charge of absolutely everything. And that's point two. They prayed to a God who knows and is in charge of all things. That's who they're praying to. And brothers and sisters, let me remind you this morning that when we pray, that's who we're praying to. We're praying to a God who is unrestricted in power. We're praying to a God who has complete jurisdiction over everything. We're praying to a God who knows everything, even the future. So when I don't know what I should do because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I talk to God, I'm talking to a God who does know what I should do because he does know what tomorrow holds. He literally knows what you will eat for breakfast tomorrow. He literally knows all the people that you encounter. He knows every scenario that you have coming your way tomorrow and the way it would play out based on what decisions you would make. Absolutely everything. And not only does he know those things, he's in charge of those things. He is in charge of every single thing. Nothing happens unless God is in charge. God is completely sovereign. So they're praying to that God. So they're praying confidently. They're praying boldly. And this, this persecution of Christ works in two different ways in this text. The persecution of Christ shows them that God knows everything and God is in charge of everything. But it also shows us this. That sometimes persecution and trials and hard times are part of God's plan. Now we don't talk about that much. Right? We, don't, we don't like to think about that too much because we like to think that, that if everything goes the way that God has planned for it to, that nothing difficult is ever going to come into our life. But we see in the scriptures that persecution is promised to God's people. 
right? Whenever we look at the cross of Christ, that happened because we sinned, but after sin was brought into the world, this was God's plan, is that Christ would come and would be crucified. So sometimes trials and difficult times, testing, are part of God's plan. And we see that in Christ. And so what these people recognize here is if this is part of your plan, then we don't want to quit just because these people are threatening us. We don't want to back down just because somebody else has told us to. And that's what we see in verses 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed that they would be like Christ. Jesus knows what's coming with the cross. He knows the wrath of God is there. He knows he's going to endure the wrath of God for all of our sins. He knew how excruciating that was going to be. He knew how terrible that was going to be. He knew all of that, but he also knew that it was part of God's plan, and if he did it, it would bring God glory. So what did he do? Did he run from it? No, he went to the cross. And so these brothers and sisters say, God, help us to do the same thing. If these men are going to threaten us, if these men are going to put us in jail, if these men might kill us, but it's somehow part of your plan that will bring you glory, let us do it. Let us go to the death. Let us be outcasts. Let us be locked up. Let us be the type of people that do whatever we need to do to bring you glory, Lord. And I ask you this morning, again, is this us? Are we these type of people? These people prayed for boldness, in the face of persecution. They didn't say, God, take the persecution away. They didn't say, God, help those Jewish leaders to be a little bit nicer than they've been being. They said, God, if this is somehow part of your plan, let us not back down. And I pray that that's us. Point three, they prayed for boldness in the face of persecution. Let us keep pressing on. So if you don't mind, I summarize in my own words, a little bit more simple language, I think, this prayer. They pray, they say, God, we've seen the prophecy that the nations would hate and attack Jesus, and we've seen that come true. But we know that that was all part of your plan. It didn't take part outside of your control. Now we are being threatened just as Jesus was, but we know that you're still in control because you're always in control. So, Father, please give us the boldness to continue doing your work for your glory, even in the face of these threats. So the last thing, the only thing we need to see, one more verse, how does God respond to that? Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Right, God's very clear. They pray, and they don't kind of pray and peek their eye. Did you think he heard us? No, because they pray, and the building they're in starts shaking. Well, that's pretty clear. They're praying, and as they pray, God shakes the building, and it's clear to them that he's heard them. And they said, God, give us boldness to continue to be your witnesses while you continue to work. And what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. 
And as these brothers and sisters are filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Last point, point four. God answered their prayer through the Holy Spirit. They said, we want to be bold to carry out your plan. He said, the Spirit will give you the strength. The Spirit comes to them, and they continue to do it. Keep on without missing a beat. Continue right on through. And so, brothers and sisters, we, we see this, and we just, I think we have to ask ourselves, as I've already asked you multiple times, is this us? Are we the type of people that pray? And if I, can, if I could be real for just a moment, I would say this to us. And I say us because I'm in this category. To those of us that don't pray as often as we should, I think this is the reason why. It's because we think we've got this. If I'm being honest, a lot of times that I find myself not praying enough, it's because I think I can do it on my own. I, I think about Mother's Day. And, you know, we've got little ones at our house. And so they say mama, mama a lot. Mama, can you tie my shoe? Mama, can I have a sandwich? Mama, will you get me a drink? Mama, will you help me sit on the couch? Mama, 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 right? Why do they say mama? so much because they can't do those things on their own they can't tie their own shoes so they need help and they call on somebody and they can't make their own sandwich so they call on mama right they ask for help in all these situations but when your kids get older they say mama mama less don't they now it's not that they don't need you but they don't need you to do as many things for them or at least they don't think they do but the problem is, brothers and sisters, we never become less dependent on God. We shouldn't, when we're new Christians, say, God, I don't know how to do this, help me. God, I don't know how to do this, help me. But then as we get a little bit more mature in our Christianity, just stop calling on God. That's not how it should work, brothers and sisters. He's still sovereign, and we're still completely dependent on Him. Without Him, we still have nothing. Without him, we're still useless. Without him, we're still these toddlers walking around trying to tie our own shoes and fix our own sandwiches. But I think the problem is we forget that we don't have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have the knowledge that I need. I don't have the strength that I need. I don't have the wisdom that I need. I don't have the power of the Spirit on my own without God's help. I only have the Spirit because He's given to me. I only have wisdom that He has given to me through His Word. Brothers and sisters, we only have what God has given to us. So I ask you this morning, are you the type of person that when hard times come, the first thing you want to do is pray and find somebody else who will pray with you because you know how much you need God? Or are you the type of person that says, I'll work this out on my own. I'll work the problem and I'll get through it. I also pray that we are the type of people that would pray for boldness. We live in a world that if you go out and really start to preach Christ, really start to talk about Christ, people aren't going to like it. You'll have friends that will talk to you less, and you'll have friends that will talk about you more. And I pray that you would say, God, I know that hard times will come to your people, but I want to continue to be bold. If I lose my friends, if I lose my job, if people make fun of me, if people don't like me, if people think I'm weird, let me continue to be bold for you while you continue to work because I know that you are the only way that any of these people will ever recognize the things that they need. 
You're the only way that they'll be saved. You're the only way that they'll have eternal life. And so we continue to share for God's glory and for lost people to be saved. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand, and, and we're going to have a time of response. And, and maybe you're here this morning, and you don't have anything to share because you don't know the gospel, because you're not a Christian. I pray that if that's you, that you would come and that you would respond to Christ, that, that he would have shown you that he is truly God who's in charge of all things, that he's the one that died in your place, and that you would come calling on him in faith to be saved. But if you are here and you are a Christian and you recognize that you're not the type of person that prays because you think you've got it, use this time to repent. Use this time to pray. Maybe you're here and you're the type of person and you do pray, but, but you're not bold in sharing your faith. Pray in this time that God would give you the strength and the boldness that you need to do that. He's given us the Spirit, the same Spirit that allowed them to continue to do that. Pray and ask Him to help you do that. If you have questions, if you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be here and I would love to do that. But you respond the way that the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. Mm-hmm.